a soldier of the cross of Jesus. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. You have to know the principle behind John 3.16. That's the word. Christ is enough. Christ is the enough. Is, when you read the Bible, when you understand how beautiful the presence of God is, you can't take it for granted. The Bible says that you must eat of this word daily. It's only the precious blood of Jesus Christ that has power. Christ is enough. Christ it's only the precious enough. blood of Jesus Christ that has power. Hello, this is Pastor Caleb Sukul. Thank you for tuning in into Calvary with Caleb Sukul. Please prepare your hearts as we listen to this week's sermon. I greet you all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Church is back online now because of our second wave of coronavirus. And I pray that all of you are well, looking after yourself. You know, since the beginning of 2020, life hasn't been the same for a lot of us. For a lot of people in China, it was since 2019. Hence, we get the name COVID-19 because in 2019, this is when the coronavirus actually started. My sermon title is Putting the Pandemic into Perspective. And I think we need to do that. I think we need to take a biblical worldview on everything that is going on because this is really crazy times that we are living in. This is something out of a sci-fi novel, out of a sci-fi movie. And I think we need to put a biblical perspective into all of this. We need to take a biblical worldview. We're not going to run away from the hard questions, but we're going to search the scriptures for biblical truth, for biblical understanding. Amen. To lay a foundation for this sermon, I want to remind us that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And in this pandemic, He is in sovereign control. Amen. To be sovereign, by definition, is to be a ruler. Since we know that from Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth, we know that He is sovereign. He is in sovereign control of the whole universe. He created everything, and everything is made for Him, through Him, and with Him. And everything is under His feet. He is in control. He has subdued everything. Amen. When we look at the will of God, it is categorized into two subcategories, namely the perfect will of God and the permissible will of God. The perfect will is self-explanatory because the word perfect is implied. This will is what God wills perfectly. To give an example, when the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt and promised to go into the land flowing with milk and honey, it is stated that God's perfect will for Israel was for them to enter into the promised land directly from their departure of Egypt. However, they got detoured along the way 40 years they spent wandering in the desert. This wandering period is God's permissible will. He never planned for them to wander for 40 years, but it happened. He allowed it to happen to teach them a lesson, to reveal Himself to them so He can prepare them for the promised land. Perfectly speaking, He wanted to take them from point A to point B immediately. 
but it wasn't so. It took them 40 years to wander in the wilderness and he allowed it. He allowed it. He allowed them to wander for 40 years, permissibly to wander, to prepare them for what he was going to do. In short, his perfect will directly supports his sovereignty and his permissive will indirectly supports his sovereignty. To put it nicely, he is in control. He is sovereignly in control of our going in and of our going out. Whatever the situation may be, even though we may not understand it, God is in control. God is in control. Publicly speaking, when large-scale events and small-scale events happen, this constitutes judgment and persecution. Judgment and persecution are over the church and are over individuals. And I want to take time and I want to discuss this. I want to discuss judgment and I want to discuss persecution. Is it still relevant today? Does it happen? And I want to unpack this so we can have a biblical worldview and we can put this pandemic into perspective. The first thing I want to look at is judgment. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah 25, verse 8 to verse 11. The Bible says, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing and perpetual desolations. Verse 10 it says, Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. May God bless the reading of his word. Prophet Jeremiah here prophesies about the 70 years of captivity. 70 years of captivity. The Bible makes it clear God used Babylon as his agent of judgment against Israel for their sins of idolatry and rebellion against him. In verse 6, this is where it's highlighted. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. God warned them in verse 6, but they didn't listen. He told them clearly, don't go after other foreign gods. Don't go after them. Don't go after other gods. Don't worship them. Worship me. Stay true to me. But they weren't interested. And subsequently, because of that, he used the prophet Jeremiah to prophesy that they will have 70 years of exile, 70 years of captivity. 
70 years. 70 years. During their exile, there was no temple worship. They were taken out of their land, taken into captivity, brought into Babylon. Babylon is a strange country. It's a strange land. They don't serve Yahweh. They don't serve the true and living God. They were taken hostage. They were taken from their land, brought to Babylon, taken captive, taken, not asked to come, taken. They were taken captive from their land, brought to another land and to follow the customs and traditions of this new land that they were brought in. During their exile, there was no temple worship because the captives were in a foreign land. Today, the Church of Christ, the Church of Jesus Christ, cannot gather or assemble together physically in a building. We are in exile from the corporate church and the corporate presence of God. Does God still judge his people today? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. He still judges his people today based on the fact that whatsoever man shall sow, he shall reap. That's based and applies to an individual and that applies to a nation as well. If we seek after him, he will bless us. He made it clear, don't serve other gods. Don't worship other gods. Stay true to me. They weren't interested. They weren't interested. They took the presence of God lightly. They took God lightly. <sighs> Today, the church is in exile. I can see parallels. I can see the text, the holy text, verse 6, and I can see how that applies today to the church. I can see parallels that we are in exile from the body. We are in exile from the corporate church gathering together in His name. We cannot do it anymore. We cannot do it anymore. Before we get upset at political parties, we must understand that God is in sovereign control. The only thing the president is doing is speaking what God has allowed him to speak. Amen. The church is in exile. And some people are accepting of that. We are in exile and some people are accepting of that. I'm sure the lukewarm and the cold Christians love the idea of not assembling because they don't have to wake up early for church. We'll just go on to Facebook, we'll just go on to YouTube and we will watch the church service. Well, it's this lackadaisical attitude that got us here in the first place. This lukewarm Christianity of not serving the true God respecting Him, reverencing Him. We are guilty of verse 6. We brought this on to ourselves globally. We brought this on to ourselves. There's no one to blame. Leave, leave the political agendas aside. We have to take a biblical worldview on this. 
We are guilty of verse 6. Because of that, he allowed all of this to happen. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. Do not go after them. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands. Sad to say this, but the truth needs to be spoken. We chase after a watered-down version of Christianity. When people are converted from other religions, we allow them to continue with misconceived notions of who Christ is based on the religion that they were converted from because we do not want to offend them. And those that are converted from other religions want to keep their misconceived notions because it's a way of keeping leverage. Basically, you want to control the preacher, otherwise you're going to leave the church. And the preacher is so seeker sensitive to that other God, to that other God that you were delivered from. He's so seeker sensitive that he doesn't want to offend you because he wants you to come to church next week. If he was really on fire for Jesus Christ, he would preach the truth. And if you don't come back to church next week, we have to question the validity of your salvation. Who in their right mind will not want to hear the gospel truth? Who in their right mind does not want to be conformed into the image of Christ? We went and we watered down the gospel. We watered down Christianity. We showed more respect to other gods, the God of this world, than the true and living God. Today we are in exile. We can't blame anybody else. We have to blame ourselves. We have to take responsibility. We as a church, the preacher and the congregation, we collectively, we have to take responsibility. You see, judgment is corporate, it's over a nation, but judgment is also personal as well. God judges a nation, but he judges a person as well. Amen. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 12. And I'm going to read from verse 1. The Bible says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. If you understand him, just mind your own business sometimes. Verse 2. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Three were called. Two knew what they did. 
one was innocent in all of this. Verse 6, he says, Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in a dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Verse 9, So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned around towards Miriam, and there she was, a leper. 11. So Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. 12. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when she comes out of her, his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. 15. So Miriam was shut out the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward the people moved from Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. How many of you understand God judges sovereignly? That his judgment is corporate over the nation and his judgment is personal over a person. Here in this text we see how God judged Aaron and Miriam. What was their personal sin? Jealousy. Jealousy. These are family members. Jealous with Moses. Jealous of the call of God over a family member. Jealous over the call of God on Moses' life. And God had to step in. In verse 6, If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision. I chose Moses to be my prophet. What business is that of yours? Why are you jealous of what I want to do? God judged Miriam. In a moment she became leprous. And then Aaron now needed to eat humble pie and say, Oh my Lord, he turned to Moses. He begged Moses. 11. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, please do not lay the sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, and in which we have sinned. God had to make them eat humble pie. 
they took Moses for a joke, God had to judge them and he had to elevate Moses in front of them. God judges, even today, God judges. God judges his church, God judges corporately, God judges personally over sin, over sin, whether it's corporate sin or personal sin, God judges. They could not recognize the call of God on a family member's life. They took advantage over Moses because he was humble. Moses was humble before God. He wasn't humble before a man. He wasn't living before a man. Moses was living before the face of God, Coram Deo. So God came down and humbled those that were jealous of his servant. God judged Miriam for her personal sin. Her personal sin. Let's go to number 16. Number 16, verse 41 to verse 50. The Bible says, On the next day all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned towards the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put it in the incense so he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now, those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those that died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. In the beginning of this chapter, Korah and some men were stirring trouble and gathered against Moses and Aaron. God opened up the earth and swallowed them alive into the pit. Into the pit, God sent them directly to hell. It was their personal sin that caused God to judge them. For them it was their personal sin of rebellion. In the text that I just read, God struck them with a plague for their personal sin. He is sovereign. He is in full control. God is cleaning up his house in his sovereignty. God is getting rid of troublemakers that like to stir trouble and getting rid of the complainers 
For some people today, nothing the pastor does is good enough for them. They will always have something negative to say. They don't support, they don't lift a finger to help, but have an opinion as to how they will do it. They know it all. And these know-it-alls, God struck down with a plague. I have to be honest and I have to apply my mind for all the Christians that have passed on. I'm sure some of them are know-it-alls. Yes, they have salvation, but I'm sure some of them are know-it-alls. They always had something to say. Always had something to say. And God in the text dealt with the know-it-alls, with the negative people. He dealt with them. In Acts chapter 5, verse 9 to 11, it says, Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carried her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Judgment of personal sins is not only found in the Old Testament, but it is a biblical truth that is found in the New Testament as well. Judgment of sins, judgment of sins judgment of sins when the lord judges it's because of sin when the lord judges it's because of sin whether he judges corporately or whether he judges individually he judges because of sin and we saw in the text how he used a plague i wonder how many people on this planet christians that used to give their pastors and leadership a hard time at church have been dealt with because of this pandemic. God is in sovereign control. God is in sovereign control. Just like how he dealt with those that complained, I wonder if this in his permissible will, he's allowing it to happen to deal with those that complain about everything that happens in the church. The music is too loud. I don't like the song. I don't like the pastor. I don't like the praise and worship leader. I wouldn't do it like that. I wouldn't do it like this. They've got something to say for everything, but yet God hasn't called them into ministry. They know it all, but God hasn't called them into ministry. Instead of coming to church to receive, they come to church to judge and they caucus and they stir and they influence other people with their negative thoughts and their negative attitudes. I wonder, only the Lord knows, but the word of God is true and the word of God is inspired. I wonder how many of the naysayers, of the complainers have been taken out in this pandemic because God is cleaning up his house, cleaning up his church, cleaning up sin, 
getting rid of it getting rid of sin getting rid of it God only judges because of sin now let's look at the persecution of the church the persecution of the church the church has been persecuted from its inception Jesus told us that we must not be surprised if the world hates us the church is being persecuted because it is the medium in which people are to be saved the church teaches and preaches Christ which the world hates Saul of Tarsus did a fantastic job persecuting the early church until he himself had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus the church is being persecuted ladies and gentlemen the church is being persecuted and just like how we took a biblical view of the judgment of the Lord we must take a biblical view of the persecution of the church the church is being persecuted this pandemic has brought us on a lockdown whereby churches are now closed to stop the spread of coronavirus can you believe that this is rather strange because casinos here in South Africa are allowed to be opened but churches are closed they think that if you come to church you will spread the virus you will contact it but if you go to a, go to a casino or a shopping mall you're safe on paper that's what they are saying on paper that's what it says how is it that the church is closed but you can go to a casino that makes no sense whatsoever the church is being persecuted the church is being persecuted the church is being persecuted on a corporate level the same rules must apply to everyone what's good for the goose must be good for the gander if it's good for the casinos it must be good for the church the same rules must apply to everyone the law of the land must be impartial unfortunately that's not how it is churches are being vilified as super spreaders while casinos are allowed to function if you did Christmas shopping or grocery shopping over the period of December it was chaotic at the shopping malls as if coronavirus did not exist people were allowed to go to shopping malls in the masses crowded spaces but were not allowed to go to church where we practice social distancing enhanced sanitation temperature recording with a register none of that was being done at the shopping malls we were doing it at the church but yet the church is being persecuted and vilified as if if you go to church you will contract this virus but if you go to a shopping mall or a casino you are safe as if the virus is immune in casinos and shopping malls but it becomes more contagious at church can you believe that that is what they are saying on paper the church is being persecuted make no doubt about that the church is being persecuted ladies and gentlemen 
my brothers, my sisters in the Lord. We have to be heard. We cannot keep silent on this matter. Silence is complying to us, not gathering, which is biblical. The Bible has instructed us to gather in His name, to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. If we give this up, they will shut us down permanently. We have to understand we are at a war. We have to understand that we are in battle. Yes, I am a firm believer of Romans chapter 13. But we must see between the lines that the church is being persecuted when the same law of the land has partiality to one organization as compared to another then we have to stand up and be counted i'm not saying that we must resort to violence but where are the lawyers where are the advocates the christian organizations that will stand up and fight for the church and say the church is essential People are going to work. Why can't people go to church? People are going to work. The economy is running. We haven't locked down the economy. We haven't done that. People are still going to work. The economy is still running. But why is the church being persecuted? Why is the church under lockdown? Surely the same people are going to work. Can come to church as well. Why can't that happen? Why can't that happen? And my brothers and my sisters in the Lord, where are the Christian lawyers that will stand up and fight for us? The pen is mightier than the sword. I'm not saying that we need to go and resort to violence. No. Let's do it properly, but let's fight. Where are the Christian lawyers? We need more of them the Christian advocates like Moses stood up to Pharaoh and went to the courts of Pharaoh and said let my people go we need lawyers Christian lawyers and advocates filled with the Holy Spirit and fire that will stand up in the high court and say the church is essential we will gather in his name we will gather in his name we will gather in his name. Let my people go. Let my people go. The church has been persecuted from its inception and it will always be persecuted until the Lord returns. So we cannot say this is something new. We cannot say the concept of persecution is new to the corporate church. This is mild as compared to what some churches are going through in other nations where people are literally losing their lives for the name of Jesus Christ. Where they have an ultimatum, renounce Christ and live or die. People, pastors, congregational members, Christians in those countries have chosen Christ and because of that their choice was death. They were killed because they chose Christ. That is persecution, physical and literal persecution. It hasn't come down to that. It hasn't come down to that. 
but that does not mean that we are not being persecuted. Our right to freely practice our religion is being hampered. Why can we not gather in His name? Christ made it clear in the Word, either choose mammon or choose Christ. So we can go to casinos, but we cannot go to church. You want us to gather in the name of mammon, but you do not want us to gather in the name of Christ. The Lord rebuke you. You want us to go to shopping malls and gather in the name of mammon, but you don't want us to go to church and gather in the name of Christ. The Lord rebuke you. We will gather in His name. We will gather in His name. Father, I ask you honestly, stir up people. Stir up people that will stand up strong in the Lord. We need advocates. We need lawyers that will stand up like Moses and go to Pharaoh's court and say, let my people go. Let my people go. We must be heard. We cannot keep quiet. We cannot be silent on the matter. If we keep quiet, they will take it as if we are in agreement. But we have to keep on doing what the Bible instructs us to do. We have to gather in His name. I'm not saying we must be reckless, but we have to gather in His name. If you can go to casinos and shopping malls, Okay, fair enough that all COVID-19 protocols are being adhered to. We can do it at church as well. In fact, we were doing it. So what is the problem? We were doing it just like how they're doing it at the casinos. We can do it here at church as well. We take, we take down people's temperatures. We record it. We have social distancing. We sanitize. Exactly what they're doing, we are also doing it. So why can't we gather? because we preach Christ and Christ crucified. The church is being persecuted. God is still sovereign in all of this. God is still sovereign in all of this. He's sovereign over the judgment. He's sovereign over the persecution. God is sovereign. We need to reconcile this pandemic. We need to put this pandemic into perspective. Judgment is for sins corporate and personal sins. Persecution is for not choosing to be sinful like the world is. Judgment is for sins, corporate and personal sins. Persecution is for not choosing to be sinful like the world is. God allows His church to be persecuted under His permissible will, but only He can judge his church under his perfect world. This is a judgment from the Lord. It is not judgment day. We are still living under the time of grace. Today we still have grace. This judgment is a call for us to come back in alignment with Christ, for us to repent and come back to God. On judgment day there will be no grace. It's either you will make it into heaven or you will be denied. Please understand what God is doing. He is calling us to come to repentance. Through these judgments, He is calling us to come to repentance. Like the prodigal son who left his father's house, he came to his senses and said, no, I must go back. 
God is calling us to repentance, to come back. God only judges because of sin. He has found sin in his church and he is judging his church. He has found sin in the nation and he is judging the nation. We must come back to him. I implore you, we must come back to him. We must come back to him. We must come back to him. God in his sovereignty is using this pandemic to judge the church and allow the church to be persecuted both at the same time. We must be careful not to deal in extremes. We must be careful not to say the church is only being judged. We must be careful not to say the church is only being persecuted by brothers and sisters in the Lord. We must understand that God is sovereign and is allowing both to happen. The church is being judged and persecuted both at the same time through this pandemic and God is sovereign over it. He's allowing it to happen. The conversation must be had on both fronts. We can't deal in extremes. Our fervency must be equal. The church is being judged and the church is being persecuted. In terms of judgment of the Lord, pastors and leaders need to pray and preach repentance like John the Baptist did to the congregation. In terms of persecution, we need to pray for Christian lawyers and advocates that are fighting for us, that God will give them inspired thoughts. Like Jeremiah says, I will put the words in your mouth do not be afraid of their faces. You see, when you go on a diet, that doesn't mean you stop eating. God's judgment and persecution, although they oppose each other, conceptually speaking, must work in unison because of Romans chapter 8, 28. And people of God take comfort in verses 38 and 39. How do we reconcile the deaths? Innocent people lost their lives. God is sovereign. He allowed it. Christian people lost their lives. Good Christian people that love the Lord, that serve the Lord. They had no sin in them that was anything out of the ordinary. They weren't troublemakers. They had no active sin in them. They weren't people that were negative. They loved the Lord but they passed away due to this virus. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It's a time to live and a time to die. God is sovereign. How do we reconcile those that died because of this pandemic? The same way we could reconcile anybody. The Lord gave and the Lord took away. So blessed be the name of the Lord. We must take a biblical view on this. We must come back to the heart of worship. We must come back to Jesus Christ. We must come back and bow our knee at the cross. We must come back to the fold like the prodigal son. We must learn from those that were judged. We must learn from those that lost their lives and may it be so that we do not lose our lives. We cannot take our salvation lightly anymore. We 
We cannot take our salvation lightly under judgment and we cannot take our salvation lightly under the persecution of the church. When does this end? When does this end? When did the judgment end? When they came back? When does the judgment of this pandemic end which God is allowing? When does His judgment end through this pandemic? When we learn what God is teaching us. When we leave our sins come back to the old rugged cross when we forget this watered-down seeker-friendly Christianity and we say preach the truth of the Word of God not the milk but give me the meat of God tell me preacher tell me pastor tell me where I'm going wrong tell me so I can be conformed into the image of Christ that is true revival where we seek after him seek after him day and night we seek after the Lord we be his people we be a witness on this earth we save people not because God can bless you we preach the gospel because it's a matter of where will you spend your eternity? You're either going to spend it with Christ or without Christ. We don't bring people to Christianity so they can become rich. We cannot preach that gospel anymore. It got us into this place. We have to preach the truth of the word of God. The truth sets us free. We have to bring the church into maturity. We have to bring the church into maturity. Christ is returning. He's coming back for a mature bride. The persecution and the judgments bring us to a place of maturity. Spare the rod, spoil the child. It ultimately brings us to a place of repentance and growth. Revelation 19 verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, his wife, has made herself ready. Max, I'm going to read that again. Edit this for me. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. My dear brothers and sisters, Christ is not coming back for a child bride. Other religions do that. We don't do that. Christ is coming back for a mature bride. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name today because you are great and greatly to be praised.
We thank you for your spoken word, Almighty God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the after speaker, that you are the one who illuminates our minds. You are the one who judges us, Almighty God. You are the one who convicts us of our sins. And Holy Spirit, you are the one who leads us to the cross. You are the one who leads us to Christ. I pray, Holy Spirit, that those that listen to this sermon today, Holy Spirit, I pray you be the after speaker, bringing enlightenment and illumination to them. I pray for whatever questions they may have concerning this pandemic. May you answer those questions accordingly, Holy Spirit. Father, for those that have lost loved ones because of this pandemic, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you be the comforter. I pray that your sovereignty will be known throughout the earth. I pray, Almighty God, that for all those that are living in sin, that call on the name of Jesus, those Christians that are living in sin, may they repent of their ways, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. I pray, Almighty God, for the persecution of the church, Jesus. I pray, Almighty God, that you help us to fight the good fight. May we not resort to violence, but may we understand that the pen is mightier than the sword. Like Moses went and stood into Pharaoh's court and said, Let my people go, Father. I pray earnestly that you raise up lawyers and advocates. Raise up people that will stand up in the courts of this land, in the high court of this land, and speak to judges and declare that the church is essential. Let my people go. Father, I pray that you be glorified in everything we do, that through the judgments and through the persecutions, may we hold on to you. May we never take offense. May our hearts not be hardened by what the Lord is doing. May we stay soft before you. I ask this with much thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, Calvary with Caleb Suku. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications. You're welcome to rate, review, or comment below. Until next week, let Christ be seated in our hearts. God bless you.